Amen. Would you remain standing for the reading of God's word? Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be reminded of truth. Lord, we thank you for the words and the songs we sing and the conversation we have with people. Father, we gather this morning because we want to know you more. We gather this morning because we want to be shaped by you and changed by you. We want to understand more of the sacrifice your son made, more of the life that you call us to, more of the way that you want to continue to use us in this world. Father, may we be like that tree planted by the waters. That's fruit and leaf does not wither. And Lord, we know that starts with your word. Be with us now as we open your scriptures together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. It is so good to see you today. I've said it already, but happy new year. I'm glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and take those out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today, Matthew chapter 4, and as you're turning there and finding your way through the scriptures, I want to let you know about a couple things that are coming up, but really quick, can I take a, like a personal moment for just a second, really quick? It was my mom's birthday yesterday. My mom's sitting right there in the pew. I won't tell you, I won't tell you how old she turned, but she swam in the 1968 Olympics, all right? So now you get to ask her how old she is and about the Olympics. So find her afterwards. I love you, mom. Happy birthday. <laughs> couple of announcements for you. We got a couple things that are coming up. A lot of different ways, like Zach said, a lot of different opportunities for us to continue to grow in our discipleship. A couple things coming up. We have a life precepts class that is starting next Sunday after the 10 o'clock service. You've uh, heard about our life precepts class. It used to be called basic beliefs. It's now called life precepts, but this is a five-week class that'll take place after uh, Sunday, uh, 10 a.m. service, 11.45 to about 12.45. We'll get together and really talk about the basic foundations of faith, about what we believe about the scriptures, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you are interested and excited about that, there's a table in the lobby you can sign up or just show up next week and join us for our life precepts class. Also, our women's Bible study is kicking back off Monday the 13th, so make sure you look forward to that. That's a change of time. That's on Mondays, as well as Mops kicks off on the 16th, so look forward to that next week as we kick off those opportunities for us to continue to gather together. Also want to let you know about some care groups and some classes. They'll start the week after 
We have care groups starting on the 21st and our classes starting on the 23rd. We have a new class this year. It's an abortion recovery class and it starts on January 21st and there's a table in the lobby if you're interested in more information on that. So a lot of different ways to get connected, a lot of different ways for us, like was said earlier, to grow in our discipleship of the Lord. Um, I wanna ask you really quick, how was New Year's? How many of you made it to midnight? How many of you made it to midnight? Okay, some of you, some of you. I did not make it to midnight. I watched the live version of the New York drop at nine o'clock. Um, with my kids, and then I was in bed at 9.43, right, asleep. So it was wild. I'll just tell you that much. We got pizza delivered, and it got crazy. Um, <laughs> I want you to take a moment and just consider. I don't know how you feel about New Year's or New Year's resolutions, but, but look back on the last year. Consider 2019. It's even weird, I don't know about you, but in that first month or two of this new year, I'll continue to write 19 on the date, right? I'll I'll forget that it's here. Consider the last year that we went through, that you went through. Think about the, the new year, 2020, that's upon us. Did you make any New Year's resolutions, right? The, the, there's common ones. The 10 most common New Year's resolutions, exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn, learn a new skill, live life to the fullest, save more money, spend less money, quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, travel more, and read more. Those are the top 10 common New Year's resolutions. I love the new year because I think the new year reminds us of a couple things. The new year reminds us that we get to start with a clean slate. We get a a fresh start. We get the opportunity to make decisions and commitments to start new habits. A new year brings a chance to celebrate what happened last year and look forward to what's ahead. But I know some people in the room, they're like, New Year's, what's the big deal with New Year's? I don't care for New Year's. It's just another excuse for people to do things that they probably shouldn't be doing, right? Some people would say, why would I make a resolution? Why would I make a New Year's resolution if I'm just gonna break it, right? Only 46% of people keep their New Year's resolution. So half of us all broke our resolution already. You guys, good luck, all right? Why would I need a new year to start new habits? I'm continuing to resolve to make new habits and make my life better every single day. Some will say, I get a fresh start every day because I know the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Some will say, let's celebrate and reflect on what God has done today. And let's celebrate last year and look forward to next year. Let's do it right now today. I don't know where you stand, but I have a question for you. As you look back on this last year, it's actually a series of questions. Did this last year bring you closer to the Lord? Does this last year bring you closer to the Lord? When you think about your relationship, did you grow in your relationship with Jesus? As you got older and hopefully wiser and more mature, did your faith become stronger and more vibrant? Are you a different person than you were last year at this time? Is it a good different or a bad different? Have you been changed to become the person that you know you're supposed to be? Because really, ultimately, that's the goal, right? 
You've heard it said, Zach said it in his announcement, we're all growing in our discipleship to become more and more like Jesus. Listen to these words really quick. 2 Corinthians 5, 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. The reminder that the, the old is gone, the new has come, this, this process of transformation. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll take away your hard heart and I'll give you a new heart. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on that day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God desires that we would change as people. God desires that we would become more and more like his son, right? To become a little Christ, to be a Christian, to be more and more like Jesus. That's our hope. That's our desire. So are you more loving than you were last year? Are you more generous than you were last year? Are you willing to serve rather than be served more so than last year? Here's one for me. Are you more patient with your kids than you were last year? Are you more intentional with relationships than you were last year? Are you a better listener than you were last year? That one's for me. I got to work on that, right? Because I get distracted all the time. I'm like the dog from up, right? Talking to someone, squirrel, right? I'm just like, my phone buzzes, something happens, right? I hear a noise. What's that? Let's go check it out. Are you in more regular prayer and conversation with God than you were last year? Are you rejoicing more so than you were last year? And giving more thanks than you were last year? Are you more aware of your neighborhood or your workplace or your community or your school and the people that need to know Jesus than you were last year? Are you more aware of the moments in which God wants to speak to you? Are you making the most of every opportunity as we were reminded last week, Pastor Chet challenged us to don't miss the moment and make the most of every opportunity. I hope that you're doing some of those things and I hope that all of us are continuing to try and become more and more like Jesus and be changed by him. We all should be people that are wanting to accomplish this, wanting to allow God to change us and shape us. And hopefully you're doing that. But it's oftentimes in our lives where we make commitments and try and do things that we get distracted or deterred or we're just dog tired. We're dissuaded or we get deflected from the decisions to continue to become more and more like Jesus, more and more like the person God desires us to be.
We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning, and my hope is that we get a chance to zoom in on Jesus' experience. He gets tempted in the wilderness. If you turn there, you'll see it there at the top. It's the temptation of Jesus, or Jesus goes to the wilderness. And we're going to spend some time looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 4. And I've titled my sermon this year, uh, this morning, Three Temptations of 2020 to Totally Turn Aside and a Couple Commitments of the Coming Year to Completely Accomplish. No, that's not true. (laughs) I made a resolution to be more simple. Um, It's 2020 focus. You like that? You want me to read the other one really quick just because it's so good? It took me a long time to come up with those alliterations. I'm going to do it for my own sake, okay? Three temptations of 2020 to totally turn aside and a couple commitments for the coming year to completely accomplish. Okay. Anyway. There's a verse that I love, and it's in the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's a great reminder for us, and I I, I think it will uh, set us up well as we jump into Matthew chapter 4. It says this, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love what it says in in verse two, right? It says, first of all, it says a lot of things. In light of all the people around us and the great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles us, but let us look to Jesus. Let us stay focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us focus on Jesus. And I hope that as we jump into Matthew chapter 4, we wouldn't just see a story about Jesus in the desert, but potentially this story for all of us in this next year as we do our best to be focused on Jesus, knowing the temptation is all around us. Let me read the whole section and then we'll go back in just a second. Matthew chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This story, uh, we find this story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
If you go back and you look back just before this, you see that, that Jesus beats John the Baptist out in the wilderness by the Jordan. He's baptized, and we get this wonderful picture in which Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and we hear God the Father's voice, a wonderful picture of the Trinity right there in Matthew chapter 3, in which we see Jesus, the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit all at once taking place. And God says, Behold, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized. And now before he starts his ministry, before he goes now out to preach the gospel and do miracles and have disciples and all these different things, he spends some time in the wilderness. And the wilderness is often a refining time for us as people. If you think back to Moses, he spent time in the wilderness for a little while before God called him to go and speak to Pharaoh. And say, let my people go. Remember the Israelites, they were, they were forced to wander the wilderness to be refined as a, as a people, be refined as a nation so that God would prepare them for the promised land. The wilderness God uses to refine us and shape us and change us. And it's in here that we see a couple lessons for us. Let's just talk about the details. Just look at verses one and two really quick. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Four things happen. Jesus is led by the Spirit. Jesus led by the Spirit. Now, Jesus is God's Son, but he still chooses to be led by the Spirit. I'm always amazed at any time Jesus does things that I think he should be able to do simply because he's the son of God, right? Anytime Jesus asks questions, I'm like, Jesus, you know the answer. Why would you ask them that question, right? Jesus goes to pray. I'm like, it's, it's your dad, but he's, still, he's led by the spirit. He, he, he submits and commits to being led by the Spirit. How are you doing being led by the Spirit? If you're a believer, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know that God sends his Spirit to dwell inside of you. You, you are a, a holy temple, it will say in the Scriptures. And that, that there's promises associated with being led by the Spirit. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Who wants death? Who wants life and peace? Are you being led by the Spirit? Remember, Jesus makes some promises. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He, he's about to go away. And he says, John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things to bring remembrance to you of all that I have said. A chapter later, John 15, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus was led by the spirit. 
We've got to be people that commit to being led by the Spirit. Remember, to be led by the flesh brings death. To be led by the Spirit brings life and peace. It's easy for us to be led by the flesh. It's easy for us to do the things that come naturally to us, right? We have a naturally deceitful heart. That's why God will say he'll give us a new heart. That's why he says he'll fill us with the spirit because he wants us to be led by the spirit different than our normal, natural decisions. I watch this all the time with my kids, right? Six-year-old, four-year-old boy, right? They're playing great. They're wonderful friends. One moment, someone gets poked in the eye and they're enemies, right? And the whole house is in chaos and they're fighting and their natural reaction is not to say, gosh, that was probably an accident. I forgive you for poking me in the eye again, right? Like that's not their natural decision. They respond with, you know what? Poke you in the eye, right? If we're gonna be led by the spirit, we've gotta submit to the spirit and allow him to lead us to life and peace and do the things that he's called us to. Jesus did that. Jesus goes into the desert, into the wilderness, led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The implication there is that there's, a, there's purposed intentionality of the spirit to lead him. That temptation is a, is a testing to decipher the, the quality and the character of someone. But I love that Jesus is tempted. I love that Jesus, the son of God, who left heaven and came to earth, is tempted. Remember what it says about temptation in scripture. It says, no temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the, tempta- when the temptation, he will also provide a way of an escape that you will be able to endure it. Remember, temptation is all around us. For us to be tempted is not the sin. It's what we do with that temptation that will determine how we, what our life will look like. But I love that Jesus is tempted. I love that Jesus goes through what we went through. Jesus experienced what we experienced. Maybe not in today's day and age with technology and social media and all that stuff. And would Jesus have an Instagram? I don't know, right? But listen to what it says in Hebrews. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us, draw, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus came to earth. He was a high priest. He experienced what we experienced. He went through what we went through. He dealt with what we dealt with, right? I'm gonna tell a story about my mom really quick because I, I, I love this reminder and I'm always reminded of this when I think about when I was younger and I used to play sports. I don't know about you, but when I was younger and I used to play sports, my parents would be on the sidelines and what would they be doing? 
<laughs> my dad said it, going crazy, right? They're, they're standing there cheering and screaming and yelling, do this, do that, right? And for some reason, when mom's watching sports, like octave level goes higher, right? She's, she's yelling and doing, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm out here and you're over there. Let me do my thing, right? It's not like that with the Lord. Jesus came to earth and he went through what we went through. He experienced what we experienced. It wasn't just enough for him to stand on the sidelines and say, do this, do that, da, 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 da. He came as a baby. We just celebrated that. To be born as a child that he might go through what we might go through and know our experience. The next thing we find out just there in verse two is that Jesus was fasting. He's purposefully abstaining from food with the desired intention to meet with the Lord. And I don't know if you've fasted before. I, I would encourage you to do so. It's all throughout the scriptures in which God calls his people to fast with the purpose intention to abstain from food, to be reminded of our need of God, to train our bodies, to create space in our life that we might recognize a need for the Father. And Jesus does that intentionally. That he might grow in his relationship with God. Remember, Jesus says, uh, as he's speaking, he says, you're not fasting for other people. Right? You're not fasting that other people might look at you. You're not fasting that other people might uh, see you and congratulate you. But you're fasting so your father who is in secret might see you in secret and reward you. The reward is your growth in your relationship with God. God speaking to you. God reminding you that he will provide. And lastly, Jesus is hungry. Like I said already, similar to the, the high priest in the, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus went through what we went through. Remember when he goes to, the, to, the, uh, to Lazarus and Lazarus is in the grave, he weeps, right? Jesus wept. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane, he's pleading with the father. Can you take this cup from me? but not my will, but your will be done. Remember when he gets lost in the temple, he talks back to his mom. Remember that? Remember when Jesus is, it says that he's 12 years old and he gets left behind in the temple. And Mary comes and says, Jesus, where were you? Your father and I were worried. And Jesus does what? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Right, like a classic 12 year old boy. Just like, mom, I was in God's house. Right, like really Jesus, come on. But he went through what we went through. He was hungry. He was human. I take some time there because it paints the backdrop, I think, for us to consider what's before us in the temptations. Let's read together verses three through four. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like I said, I don't know if you've ever fasted before. I don't know if you've ever been to a point where you're so hungry, but notice what Satan does. Satan goes after the very thing that he knows at that point is a potential weakness for Jesus. 
He's hungry, and what does Satan do? He goes after that very thing that he says, I'm gonna get you, right? And if you've ever been hungry or fasted, whether for, for purposes, spiritual purposes, or for maybe a surgery or, or, or medical decision, whatever it is, you know you get to a point where you start kind of like, you're like the cartoon, right? That's like so hungry, and you're the wily e. coyote, and you see the roadrunner, and it's not the roadrunner, right? He's like a turkey dinner, right? You've been there. What is, and what, is, what does Satan do? He goes after the very thing that is a potential weakness and he tries to exploit it. And that's what Satan will do to us. He'll find the one thing that we're struggling with and he'll exploit it. Notice what Satan says specifically. He says, if you're the son of God, Right? He questions Jesus' identity. He goes after the very thing that is a potential weakness. He actually goes after the thing that Jesus intended to grow in his relationship with is the very thing that Satan now will try and latch onto and make a weakness and exploit Jesus for. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Come on, you could do it, Jesus. Make it happen. That... that Rumbly in your tumbly, that, that desire to be sustained, that fulfillment that you need, you can do it right then and there. Come on, Jesus. How does Jesus respond? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation for us the temptation for us and for Jesus is to be satisfied by anything other than the Lord. Let me say that again. To be satisfied by anything other than the Lord. But Jesus responds and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember that Jesus can, if he wants to, it's not a question of ability. He could do it. We're going to find later in the gospels, right? He will feed 5,000. He'll feed 4,000. He'll multiply bread. We know he has the ability. It's not a question of ability. But he, one, he quotes scripture. He knows God's word. But he remembers that it's not just by bread alone that one is sustained, but by the word of God. The response is to seek satisfaction in the Savior and his words. Jesus is quoting the story in which the Israelites are provided manna in the wilderness. They're hungry. And, and Jesus, notice he doesn't negate uh, that bread is a part of life. Right? He says that you shall not live by bread alone. He doesn't say we shouldn't eat ever, right? He says that bread is a part of it. But remember, the story then is in the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they didn't have any food. And it was by God's word that he spoke and manna came to them. But the lesson beyond that was that by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is displaying for us his, his reliance, his satisfaction in the Lord, our response in temptation when we seek satisfaction in anything other than the Lord is to be sustained, to seek satisfaction in the Savior and his words. 
That's our response. Because the world around us will try and satisfy us in a lot of different ways. Amen? The world around us will say, do this, make this decision, look at this, say that, commit this, whatever it is, and you'll be satisfied. But what, what Jesus does is he seeks satisfaction in the Lord alone. And my proposal to us as we're tempted in 2020 to be satisfied by anything other than the Lord is that we would seek satisfaction in the Savior and his words. Temptations go on. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So in the same way that Jesus is tempted because of the food, Satan now takes him and places him on the pinnacle, on the, on the kind of the corner of the temple in which he's overlooking all that's around him and overlooking the, the Valley of Kidron and, and seeing all these things. And, and Satan says to him, once again, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and the angels will grab you so you won't stub your toe, right? Like, so you won't strike your heel. Notice what Satan does. The tempter quotes the scriptures to try and mislead Jesus. But he doesn't do it justice because he's not quoting it in context. He's, he's misusing it. He's, he's trying to get us to doubt and question God's faithfulness. Turn with me really quick to Psalm 91 because it's important we look at this. We won't look at the whole Psalm. You can read it later as you spend some time studying God's word. But look at Psalm 91. We'll just look at verse one really quick and then verses nine through 12. It says this, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. Go to verse nine. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near you, your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The tempter quotes the word to try and mislead Jesus, to, to pull a trick. He doesn't quote it completely. He misses a couple things and he's, and he's quoting it in an inaccurate way. The promise of Psalm 91 is place yourself in the shelter of the Lord. Fully rely on him, fully depend on him and he will bring protection. It's not a let's test God and see if he shows up. And Jesus is, I mean, Satan is smart. Check this out. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Jesus responds, right? What does he do? He jumps off the pinnacle of the temple, and what happens? God sends the angels, they catch him, and he like lands in the temple. Oh, right? In the temple. He's like, hey, I'm here. Messiah's here, people. Right? Like that's an entrance. And Satan's trying to get at him a little bit. But of course, he responds and says, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The, the, the temptation is to doubt or question 
God's faithfulness? Will God really show up? Will God really protect you? Will God really take care of you? And Jesus quotes and says, we're not to put God to the test. And once again, he's quoting a story from the Israelites in which they were in the wilderness and they didn't have any water. And rather than go to God and and ask him to show up, we find out if you read the story in the book of Exodus chapter 17, we find out that they tested God because they said, is God even among us? We got no water. Is he even among us? And remember, that's post the 10 plagues, the Red Sea, God providing for them already. Our response is to practice the promises. Practice the promises that God has for us. I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in which they stand before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, bow down and worship. And they say, no, we're not going to. Then you're going in the fire. And they say, all right, we're going in the fire. We're gonna trust the Lord. And we find out that they go in, that they're protected from the fire, that there's another one that is like the son of man walking with them. And they come out of the fire and they're saved. They were were finding their dwelling and their shelter in the Lord and he provides protection. Not a test to see if God will show up. I'll throw myself down off this pinnacle. Sometimes we, we do that. We either, like, like Satan, don't fully quote the whole scripture, fully understand what God is saying, or we sometimes, I'll test God, I'll do this to see if it's really gonna come true. My proposal to us in 2020 is that we would avoid that, that we wouldn't be tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. We would practice the promises that he has in scripture. The last temptation is this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Satan tries one more time. He says, I'm gonna show him everything he could have. All the glory, all the kingdom, all their splendor. He takes him up to a high mountain and and uh, most likely it was um, uh, looking out over the land, but also a vision of all the, the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, all the authority and the glory and the honor associated with that if you bow down and worship me. The temptation is to, to seek that honor and that power from the world. To seek that validation and that control and that power from the world. And consider this, Jesus, at at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, what does he say in, in the Great Commission? He says, before he says, go and make disciples, he says what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What does it say in the book of Philippians? At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So we know that that will happen. What Satan is tempting with him is that he can do it quicker. He can do it without the cross. He can do it instantly. You can have it. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And once again, isn't that the temptation of the world? 
Isn't that the temptation that's around us everywhere we look? To seek that honor and that power and that glory from the world rather than to do what Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus once again quotes scripture and says to Satan, check it out. I'm gonna rely on the Lord to do his will. I'm gonna depend on the Lord to do what his plan is, his will is. I'm not gonna take the shortcut. I'm not gonna do the instant gratification. I'm not gonna make the decision that feels right right now, but I know is just gonna cause me pain. When I think about this, this continual contrast between the world and the decision to wait on God's will, I think of any time I used to play with Play-Doh. How many of you played with Play-Doh as kids? Yeah, how many of you ate Play-Doh as kids? Yeah, that's right, people. It's all right. There is gluten in it though, so be careful, right? I used to play with Play-Doh all the time, right? And like many of us, I had one color of Play-Doh and I had another color of Play-Doh. And I thought to myself, how wonderful it would be if I could do what? Combine them. I will have now two colors of Play-Doh all in one, right? And then I get even more like a little bit greedy, right? I'm like, I'll add another color and another color and another color. And for a moment, what happens to the Play-Doh? It's awesome. It's like rainbow, multicolor awesomeness. But all of you know, because you've done this before and you're nodding along with me, I play with that Play-Doh long enough, it's no longer awesome rainbow Wonderfulness. What does it turn to? Like gray, brownish junk, right? And I fear sometimes that's what we do with our lives and the world. I fear sometimes that we, as much as we want to, wait on the Lord and depend on his will, we go out into the world and we take a color here. We add a little bit here. We add a little bit there to make that that quick fix, that that instantaneous result, that, that immediate gratification. And it's cool for a little while. All the color's in there. But eventually, it's no good. Eventually, it's worthless. What does Jesus say? I'm gonna worship God alone. I'm gonna worship God alone. Let him do his will, right? What's the rest of the, the, the section of Philippians before it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess? It says that, that Jesus humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, even death on the cross. He was willing to serve God alone and depend on him to do his will. He still got the same result, but it's a result that God gave not the world that will fade away, that God gave. My hope for us as we jump into 2020 is that we would consider Jesus' time in the wilderness. That we would avoid the temptation to be satisfied by anything other than the Lord, but we'd seek satisfaction in the Savior and his words. 
that we'd avoid the temptation to doubt and question God's faithfulness, but we would practice the promises that we know he's given us. That we'd avoid the temptation to seek honor and power from the world, but we depend on the Lord to do his will. I'm praying for 2020. I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for you because I know it feels a lot like the wilderness out there. It feels a lot like we're really, really hungry and there's temptation everywhere. But we can stand on the promises. Remember that Jesus every single time quotes scripture. Remember Psalm 1, meditate on the word of the Lord day and night and you will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water whose fruit comes in harvest and his leaf does not wither. Let's be those people. Let's make the most of every opportunity. Like we were told last week, let's resist temptation. Let's focus in 2020 on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.